the service and uh, we want to speak this morning that the message title we've been preaching about seven weeks getting ready for Resurrection Sunday, preaching different topics and things that set the stage for the resurrection. And of course, this is it. So, It Happened on Sunday is the title of today's particular service. And we want to use that. Of course, um, this is about the 17th Easter Sunday service that I have spoken at. Uh, so it's hard to come up with a title that you haven't used prior. So uh, I'm going to try this one in hopes that it's not already on the internet under that title somewhere. If it is, you'll just have to look at the date on it if you want to look it up on a further reference. But it happened on Sundays, what I want to talk about, and it's talking about the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to be reading out of the four different Gospels, so get your Bible fingers ready to go. And while you're turning to uh, Matthew, the 28th chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to stand before a group of people and declare your eternal word. Ask, Lord, that you would just anoint it with your Holy Spirit, that uh, as I say it and as they, uh, they hear it, that, Lord, it'll have an impact in their hearts and minds and make a difference in their life as they move forward in the journey that we do call life. So bless in every way this hour. May it be something that will touch hearts and minds and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to read in all four gospel accounts this morning. They all have a Resurrection Sunday portion of Scripture. And I'm not even going to read all of the verses that I'm referring to. But in Matthew 28, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. Then in Mark. The 16th chapter said, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, uh, had, a, had brought spi uh, sweet spices that they might come to anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. In Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 1, says, Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher. And John, in chapter 20, verse number 1, says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher. So what we have here in all of these accounts is the fact that they want to make it clear in our minds when this took place. There is a specific time and a specific day of the week and everything that took place here, God wants us to know exactly when it happened. Two of them, of those particular verses I read, they mention it was the end of the Sabbath. We're going to talk about the Sabbath a little bit. You need to know when that is. And he says that when the Sabbath was passed, three of those narratives that I read to you talk about it being the first day of the week. Now when is the first day of the week? 
See, a lot of people think it's Monday because that's when they have to get up and go to work, you know, but the first day of the week on your calendar should be Sunday, all right? And it's a time uh, for things that take place on Sunday need to have a place in on that particular mark of the calendar. The Sabbath day to the Jews in the first century was what we would call now Saturday, all right? Now, we're going to get in there and talk to this a little bit. For us, we know that uh, by saying sunrise on Sunday morning would be something early. If you got an iPhone, you can pull it out, and there's a little click on there you can go to under the weather clouds, and it will tell you sunrise, what time it was. How about that stuff? And it tell you when sunset is. But isn't that something? Well, sunrise today is 6.55. All right? So at this time of the year, sunrise is right around 7 o'clock in the morning. All right? We weren't here then, were we? Any of you see the sunrise this morning? One. I was up. Uh, two or three of us. Yeah. For the most part, it was still going on, and we were still wrapped in the blankets with our head on a pillow. Amen? So uh, after that, of course, uh, I say you deserve that, especially if you did put in a Monday through Friday job. Uh, a little bit of Sunday snoozing won't hurt you. But here we find in the first century what God considered at his people, they were basically in two categories. You know, there are churches everywhere. They've got names of everything you can name. You just can just basically drive down the street, and the next thing you know, you're going to go by a church, and you'll see the title on it. It's going to be something you hadn't heard of before because they change all the time. There's new ones popping up everywhere. But in Jesus' day, there's basically two groups. There was the Jews and the Gentiles. You was either a believer or a non-believer. Yeah, that's all there was to it in that day and time. Made it kind of easy to understand uh, where you're at and the situation that we're talking about here. For the Jews... Traditionally, the Sabbath day was a holy day. All right? That's where we get the word holiday. We take out the Y, put in an I, and jam the two words together, and we got a holiday instead of a holy day. So uh, traditionally for them, Saturday was something that they looked forward to, something they anticipated, and something that carried more weight, if you would. I'll just use that as... A word to tell you about Saturday. It was more important than any other day of the week. And you know why? Do you know the Ten Commandments? One of them was, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. So God didn't allow anybody to work on that day. Isn't that cool? Amen. There's even an example in the Old Testament where a feller went out in the woods to pick up some sticks and they stoned him for it. Because he broke that rule. Huh, isn't that something? Well, I ain't never picked up no sticks that cost me to, to get stoned. And, and if I knew that was what was going on, I'd definitely not do that. But you need to see the importance of the Sabbath day to the Jewish people. All right? So as we read these narratives about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, two of them make reference to the Sabbath day is over. So now... If the Sabbath day is over, which is Saturday, what's next? Well, it always has been. There's always been seven days in a week. 
when God created the world. He did it in seven days, right? Every week has always been seven days. And there's no question about that. And every Sabbath or every Saturday is always followed by the first day of the week or Sunday. All right, that's the way it works. So for the Jews, that Saturday being a holy day, um, it was something that was set apart than other days, and especially in this particular week of the year calendar that's going by. What was this week? It was the Passover week. All right, that's a yearly celebration the Jews went through to celebrate their deliverance from Egyptian bondage and the deliverance to the promised land that God had promised those people. That particular Passover week was a time and the Sabbath day in that particular week was really lifted up to be the highest day of the year. What took place for those Jews in that particular week uh, on that particular day was when the Sabbath or the, uh, the Passover lamb had been slain. What did they do with his blood? They offered it as a sacrifice for sin. And then they ate the lamb. They cooked it and ate it. And then on the Sabbath was the day that they rested. They didn't do anything. And that was the day they kind of uh, realized that God had made a way to cover their sins one more time. That lamb had to be a healthy lamb. It had to be a certain age. It had to be one without blemishes or it wasn't crippled or wasn't a bad lamb, just something to get rid of. It had to be, if you would, the choice of the flock. So when that thing takes place every year and they had done that, there's some things that had to be uh, taken care of in that particular Passover week to make sure that their sins were covered for one more year. Again, next year they would have to do it again as the tradition goes for that. But there's something different about this particular Passover week, the week that the, the first day of the week after that Sabbath had passed, that Jesus was resurrected. Yes, they'd already killed the lamb. Yes. They'd already offered the blood for their sin sacrifice. Yes, they'd already eaten the meal of the lamb. But this time, after the meal, instead of the Jewish leaders going home, taking a break, going to bed, getting some rest after a long Passover week, they got up, went after Jesus, arrested him, put up a fake trial for him, convicted him of what they thought was blasphemy, which in their mind was a capital punishment, and they even took him before the governor. The governor wasn't even a Jew. He could care less one way or the other about what the Jews wanted done that Passover. He was just sitting there taking it all in one more time. But here they convicted him, and they got the governor to pronounce... Uh, judgment against him and they wanted to crucify him for what they said were crimes that were committed against God. Of course we know that basically took place on what we call Good Friday. I preached about that last Sunday morning. That man was Jesus Christ. Once they had crucified him they took him off the cross 
laid him in a borrowed tomb. It was kind of a cave style. That's the way their cemeteries looked back in those days. It was a hill country. And if they could find a cave or a sheer rock, they would chisel into it back and then chisel into the side of the walls. Concrete man knows. You chisel in there, make a layer in there. They'd walk in with the body and lay them on that shelf, if you would. Uh, and then they rolled a stone over the front of the hole or the cave entrance, and that was the way they buried people, or that was the tomb they used in the first century for the people that were there. The problem is, if they didn't roll the tomb in front of the stone in front of the tomb, what'd you have? Grave robbers, scavengers. You'd have anybody going through the hillside. Uh, interrupting, if you would, the process of that dead body being taken care of. In this particular tomb, it was real important that nobody messed with it because they all knew it was under false pretense that they killed this guy in the first place. They knew that. They just wanted to get rid of him. Amen? And they did. So in this case, they not only rolled the stone over the opening to the cave, then they did what they call sealed the tomb. Now that doesn't mean they got caulk guns and all around it and sealed it tight, airtight. And no, all they did when a seal was placed on something in first century times, everybody had a, like you would say, a wristwatch or what you call them, Fitbits or something like that. Something on their wrist, banded to their wrist, and it had a some kind of emblem in it. And when you would press that in hot wax and press it on a document, it made an imprint, what you would think as a notary would do on your, and it notarized or sealed it that it was a true what's going on. The reason they sealed the tomb is they took the imprint and they stomped it on the ground right on each side of the stone so that if somebody rolled the stone one way or the other, that seal would be crushed, and they'd know somebody messed it with that stone and entered the tomb. That's what sealing the tomb meant in that particular time. Not only was it sealed, they put two guards there, and they gave them shift work. It was a late shift, and they took three-hour shifts. They called them watches. Every three hours, two more guards would come, and those guards would get to go home. Three hours later, two more would come. All right, that's the way they watched over that tomb to make sure nobody wanted to break in and take anything or bother that body in there because rumor had it around Jerusalem that he was going to rise the third day. Huh, what do you think of that? Yeah, there was a whole bunch of rumors about that and they wanted to make sure they not only killed him, but they wanted him to stay dead. They didn't want to see him no more. Three days or two years later, they didn't want nothing to do with him. Well, guess what? That third day would have been first day of the week. Would have been Sunday. It would have followed the Sabbath. Just like in any organization, if you would, from time to time, every organization has to... Uh, put up some kind of drastic changes in the way things are done. If you've worked for a company any number of years, 
from time to time, they call all the employees together, we're going to make a change. Well, I worked 31 years for Sears, and I cannot begin to tell you how many times they called us in. We're not going to do it that way anymore. We've got a, usually when they got a new boss, he had to show, you know, he was the new sheriff in town. We're going to do it this way now. See how that works? It was that way, but it not, and by the 31st year that I worked for Sears, they finally made the whole gamut and went right back to where they was 30 years earlier. But nonetheless, any organization will do that. Well, God himself had a plan for your and my salvation. Amen? Now, in the Old Testament, it operated one way. But there came a time, and all through the Old Testament, God was saying, I'm setting the groundwork, because one of these days, I'm going to call you all together. We're going to change everything about the way it works. Especially the way it works to get your sins taken care of so that you will have the life you need when you get to heaven. Amen? Amen. That change uh, would uh, come through prophecies throughout the Old Testament. He said he's coming. Amen. There's going to be a yearly lamb sacrifice. Yes, there is. But there's going to come a permanent sacrifice, and it's going to be from a blameless, spotless, sinless lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, filled those shoes. Amen? He was God's only begotten son. He was born of a virgin. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. Amen? And he had a three-year earthly ministry that also, step by step, had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Amen? While he did his three-year earthly ministry, he was telling everybody what God's will for their life should look like. He not only demonstrated it personally, he told them in stories or in what we'd call parables or ways they could understand what was going on and what God expected of them, what his intentions really were. And Jesus then when he finished that and he saw that he had completed God's will in his life and in his ministry, that's when we come to the part of the Passover week that we're talking about from these scriptures that we read. Now when they crucified the lamb, that was Jesus. Amen? On the cross of Calvary, his blood was shed for the sin sacrifice for everyone in, in uh, all time, all people for all time. And the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Read with me from uh, Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Uh, I wasn't going to read it, but I will just quickly. Hebrews 9, you can read this whole chapter uh, and it'll talk about the transition from what the Lamb's blood did on the altar through the priests in the Old Testament to what Jesus' blood does in the New Testament. But in verse number 22, it says, Almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Amen? So it was a, uh, a time that Jesus filled if you would, that prophecy and brought it to pass and it brings us to where we are today. The entire ninth chapter tells about that 
mankind's redemption and how to get remission of the sin that's going to plague you if you take it into the final judgment before God. The Bible teaches that every sin is a debt that has to be paid for. Amen? And it has to be paid for before a person's life is over. Amen? You may think, well, i got plenty of years left. I, I've heard that story too. And if they want to be spared of any kind of catastrophe at the end of their life, they need to make sure they show up to heaven's door, if you would, clean from the sin they committed in this life. If that debt's not paid for, there's another place that God has prepared for those for eternity that decide not to apply for that sin forgiveness. That comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In reality, Jesus' blood paid your sin debt if and only if you ask for that forgiveness of sin and turn your life over to the dictates of God's Holy Spirit and walk in the will of God until he calls us into eternity. Look with me real quick in the 1 Corinthians 6 chapter. I want to see what, it, what did it cost Jesus. Well, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know God wants to live in you? He wants to live in your heart and your mind. Did you know that? He does. And it says, Which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own. Now you think you can paddle your own ship, but most of the time I do that, I get in trouble. But when I follow the orders, when I do what I'm commanded, when I do what I'm told, usually things work out better. Because verse 20 says, for, and that word for means because. Because you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen? So if we come to the realization that Jesus has paid the price on Calvary, we'll understand uh, the, the plan of God for our lives and how we need to acknowledge that plan so that we will have the eternity ahead of us that we're looking for. So with the knowledge of Jesus Christ's life and ministry in fulfilling God's will, now we can go back to where we started talking about the Sabbath and the first day of the week. There are still people today that have a gathering place or place to come together that still hold to the Old Testament, if you would, rules, rituals, or whatever, and they even still acknowledge the Sabbath day as a holy day before God. Amen? There's a lot of them. There is even a group that call themselves the Seventh-day Adventists. And all they want to do is make sure you don't do any work on Saturday. Amen? Some of you, that probably sounds pretty good, don't it? Because Saturday is usually the hardest day for most of us. Amen? But most Christians and most Christian churches use Sunday as the day that's set aside for worship. Amen? It began, it began in the New Testament 
when this transition took place from Old Testament to New Testament worship of God, that Jesus Christ, being the resurrection from the dead, caused all those connections to be made. But with the resurrection, we have the life that God wants us to know. But without the resurrection, God's purpose would not have been fulfilled. We would still be waiting for that connection between Old Testament and New Testament to be made. We would still be waiting on that payment of the debt of sin that we created. So here we have not only the resurrection as a historical fact, everybody knows it took place. It's on your calendar every year, right? Amen. It's a historical fact. But a spiritual reality of God's plan for mankind's redemption and salvation is now complete for whosoever will apply for that salvation. The resurrection of Jesus is what I call God's stamp of approval on the life of Christ. He made sure that from that time forward, everything was fulfilled. He wanted fulfilled, not only from his word, but from his prophecies. Amen? So with that stamp of approval taking place, uh, then we see uh, in Jesus' life, it was his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that not only is uh, permanent in our memories, but it's the payment for our sin. Let me give you an example of salvation in our physical world. Let's say you buy a house, big, nice house, making big bucks so I can afford it, right? Yeah, well, uh, you agree to make the payments. Everything's going good. Monthly, you slap that money down at the feet of the mortgage holder. And then something happens, causes you to lose the ability to pay that monthly note. And they call you up, say, uh, where's your money? I don't have any. I've hit hard times. Huh. I made some mistakes. I thought I was having fun, but the result's not working out so well. Amen? Next thing you know, they're calling for your eviction. Then they sell the, not only your house, but everything you got to pay what you promised to pay. But then somebody steps up and says, you know what? I don't want you to be homeless. Let me cover that mortgage for you. How would that make you feel about the generosity and the mercy that was extended to you to avoid the eviction. Amen. Well, it would mean that they had mercy on you. They probably had love for you. 
They probably accepted you just as you are, even in your desperate situation. And they came through for you. Well, I want to tell you, a lot of people say, well, I would tell that guy, get lost. I don't want his money. I'm going to just go ahead, face eviction. I'll just want him to just leave me alone. Don't bother me. Amen? Don't come around. I don't need you. Well, guess what? You'd lose your house. You'd lose your home. You'd lose everything. Maybe you should consider his offer and looking forward to the life that he paid for when he paid that house off for you. Well, the same is true of salvation. That's what Jesus did on the cross. When he shed his blood for your sin sacrifice and made atonement a reality for you. But yet there are people today that would say, that would tell Jesus, get lost. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. I don't need you. Well, I think it's too much to expect you to take the time on Sunday morning to come to church and fellowship with other believers and allow the Holy Spirit to have right away in your life in a transformation into a child of God that God desires you to be. And I think it's even a lot that needs to be done in the work of the kingdom. And God would like to have your hands and feet to help in that work. Amen? That's why Jesus paid your debt. On the cross of Calvary, the last words Jesus spoke were, it is finished. The scripture says, he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, or he died. When he did that, and he said it's finished, it means that salvation is complete. The job's over. It's done. Everything that it takes to make it happen has happened. Amen? It's all complete and ready to be operated under. Now, I want you to know, it happened on Sunday, the resurrection, when God's final approval was put on the plan of salvation that Jesus completed, and now salvation is available for whosoever will. Amen? And we need to recognize it, take advantage of it, and celebrate it, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Amen? And if you miss out on it, you've missed out on the, the best part of what God has for each one of us. Amen? And we need to remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it.